Welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listener. My name is Rob Hilferty. I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Christopher Prunty. Gentlemen, always good to have you by. On today's episode, we are sitting down with author Deb Janerson, and we're going to cut to that now. Hello, and we are joined today by Deb Janerson. Deb, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So Deb, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for those of us who might not know you very well? Sure. Well, I'm an author. Uh, These days, I mostly write YA, although I've also written a lot of poetry and social commentary. Um, I had a number of viral articles for Bitch Magazine in the early 2000s, and then I went on to be published in various literary journals and get a pushcart nomination and also several awards um, before finally publishing two poetry books and then one young adult book with the queer indie press Nine Star. And that is my most recent book. It's called The Women of Dauphine. It came out in June of last year. And it takes place in the 1990s in New Orleans. And it's about queer girls and ghosts. Yeah. So speaking about The Women of Dauphine, um, one of the things I wanted to ask about, which I really uh, kind of noticed that its flavor sprinkled between the the whole novel is The Lost Children. I was curious, mm. um, you know, what what's the inspiration for that? Does it have what basis does it have in reality, and what were you trying to do with those lost children? Because I see them popping up everywhere. Right. Well, um, for context, the lost children is a phrase that doesn't appear to be so popular anymore. Now, people mostly refer to them rather unkindly just as butterpunks, but um, in the 90s, the lost children were the teenage runaways in New Orleans who you would just catch glimpses of hanging about in public places. They kind of had like this almost effect of having little ghosts throughout the story, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, um, as far as my protagonist Cassie's parents are concerned, The lost children are a threat because, you know, they bring up the fear of homelessness and poverty, which Cassie's parents are also trying to run from. Cassie finds them interesting, but also exercises caution. And and for our listeners kind of background, um, Cassie uh, is the protagonist who stumbles upon a ghost who's living in her new home and they kind of develop a relationship over time. A follow-up question there, especially about the two of them um, working together as characters. What I was really, what I thought was really compelling in this book is um, how deep you kind of get into their psychology and how much we see them change over the course of the book from a world building perspective, like what does it take to get into the, to their heads? And from what I understand, you wrote a first draft for the, for this a couple of weeks, um, which is kind of insane. So (laughs) how much of those characters were like that when you did that first draft and how much did they change by the time, you know, this got picked up and then, you know, it was published. Oh, that is a good question. I will say uh, when I first was 
brainstorming for the book before I actually started writing. I thought that maybe Jem would become increasingly toxic. But then the more I thought about it, that wasn't the story I wanted to tell. I wanted to talk about how like a relationship can survive every awful thing and then still eventually not be what those people need. I also, um, I cared a lot about getting into the psychology of the fact that Jem is sort of older, but sort of not. Jem is the ghost. She is forever 15. She's been dead for more than 20 years by the time Cassie meets her. But the thing is, she's been trapped in the house the whole time. So is she older or is she forever stunted because she can't go new places and make new experiences? And, you know, nothing against it, but a thought I always had in the paranormal romance genre, like, was why are we not talking about the age difference, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, right, he and Angel are 600 years apart. <laughs> He's kind of forever young, so maybe it's okay, but shouldn't they at least talk about it? Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the first things I knew about this story was that I really wanted them to talk about it and struggle with whether it was okay. That is actually a really interesting kind of, subject to broach and i think that it's really pervasive in a lot of the kind of supernatural romance that you were talking about uh what did you really want to explore with that question you know like was it just the difficulties or what 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 else was there for you well jem is worried that it would be unethical for them to be romantically involved because she has been around longer And that was something that was also important to me because in a lot of these stories, um, the vampire werewolf or whatever is the aggressor. And I wanted to really push against that. And what's so cool about ghosts is they can be so many different things. I hadn't, um, at the time I started writing this book, ever seen a queer ghost story. I have since. Yes, you were saying about how, uh, in some ways, she's a ghost, she's stuck at 15. Uh, At any point, do you ever touch on the fact of, like, how uh, trauma or anything can uh, trap you at a certain age of when it happens? And there's nothing really as traumatic as, well, dying. Yeah, I mean, trauma comes up again and again in the book and in really a lot of things that I write. So I do, I think that it could be taken as a pretty strong metaphor because in some ways, you know, she is stuck at the worst part of her life and the world's moving on without her. Speaking of trauma, um, one of the things we, t- we talk about too in, in role-playing is we cover a lot of role-playing games and, and, and fantasy. Um, how do you... So in, in terms of those two things, a lot of the times we use role-playing as a way or fantasy as a way to either escape our trauma rather than confront it. And I think one of the things that we talk about a lot in, in role-playing is it can be a way to, to, to confront it. Um, what do you think about that in terms of fantasy in, in writing? Like, How do you see fantasy as a way to interact with trauma? Also a good question. Let's see. I mean, I think it's as valid a way to deal with it as any. 
I don't necessarily see fantasy as an escape. I think that what make like what makes genre fiction really good is how much it has to do with our lives, despite often not even being set in the same universe. Yeah, so I was, I was wondering, because it seems like from when I was reading other interviews you've had, you, you viewed it as a way as of, of interacting with the trauma or confronting it rather than just, you know, avoiding or not talking about it or burying it. And so right. I wondered, like, you know, I want you to expand on that more, only because I feel like in role-playing, we have an opportunity to do the same thing, um, you know, because we're creating the story as we go almost. And you're creating your own narrative. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I often feel that fantasy and the supernatural in general allows us to create a separation enough where we allow ourselves to feel comfortable with it. You know, there is a fantastical element where we can kind of deny the reality of trauma in a certain way. And that makes us feel more okay with confronting it because in in a certain sense, there's a disassociation with the, absolutely traumatic event that you're experiencing but you're Mm -hmm. also allowing yourself to create distance because you can look at it and say oh well this is a fantastical element this is a ghost so there's some safety in it you know there's some there's something that's not that that's less abrasive than if it were just something like a a, a, something that is purely non-fiction or at least purely something that's more grounded in reality Although grounded in reality, I feel like that's a loaded term in and of itself, but Mm -hmm. that's neither here nor there. Well, I I mean, I do think that I process everything that happens by writing about it. And also that, at least for me, like, whatever I need to address will start showing up in my writing. Yeah, I I do think that exploring these things through fiction is a very safe and valid way to do it because sometimes it's easier to care about things that have happened to ourselves by putting them on these fictional characters that we can have empathy for. Books let you inside the character's head oftentimes, which is which is really cool because we get to experience as them. I, I think that one of the strongest things that books do is allow for Uh, the creation of empathy I don't know what it's like to see myself or you know see others in another way but when I read a book I feel like I can at least get a glimpse of what it might be like you know it's it's something that you have to be wary of obviously because you don't want to take that for granted but it's also one of those things that I think makes you a kinder person or at least someone who's more curious about the world and other viewpoints anyway Absolutely. Uh, I do have a question about, uh, you know, kind of your location, because one of the things I always find really fascinating is just exactly how your surroundings influence your work and your writing. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're you're currently located in New Orleans. Uh, Obviously, there's all sorts of good and bad spirits down there. And I mean, it's, it's just such a storied city. How much do you think New Orleans has really influenced your writing or your world building or even just you as a person when it comes to your books? Oh, well, that's a story. Um, I was not, I was not originally from New Orleans. I moved out here by myself when I was 18 and then I left to go to school and then I came back. Um, And 
as soon as I got here, I I just felt like the world had just cracked open because I saw, you know, there there are a lot of dark sides to New Orleans, but it was live in a way I had never experienced before. And it had Laissez Le Bon Top Roulet, Let the Good Times Roll. People here are just very focused on feeling good, which uh, when I was growing up in a rather conservative, pseudo-Calvinist kind of church, like feeling good was the enemy. And so to see that, to see people celebrating that was really incredible for me. And I knew that there was something here I had to find. So New Orleans, in a way, was a way for you to kind of find a bit of freedom and embrace that freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And it's funny because my character, you know, ultimately has to leave the New Orleans area to get away from her past. But, you know, we all have a different story. I left and then came back. So. Yeah, this is just a a generally vague question, but uh, what is your thoughts on the parallel? paranormal in in general of belief and and such of that oh well i do not believe in ghosts do i know they don't exist no because none of us really know anything (laughs) i i do think like i was saying the concept of ghosts is one of the most intriguing paranormal concepts because they are us but they are not us They are us, but they've experienced something that no living human has. Mm. And also, in the book, that's sort of a source of frustration for Jem because she is still essentially a kid. And you would hope if you died, you would get some sort of great wisdom or insight into what else is out there besides human life. But she really doesn't have it. She's just stuck. And that's very frustrating for her. And I think would definitely be the worst part for me too. If tomorrow I was dead, but couldn't leave a small radius. Yeah. When I was at the point in the, well, I don't want to give, I don't want to give away for those who haven't read the book, but there's a point in the novel where I felt a great deep despair that there wouldn't be a happy ending that a kind of a romance typically promises, but we, there's a turnaround, I think, where that gets accomplished. And, but I feel like that the spare was definitely accomplished by having the little square radius of the house that she can't leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really hits home. I think when you say that. Yes, because Cassie's ghost love is in that house, but so are her parents. Mm-hmm. And they're Ooh. awful. <laughs> yeah. Unrelentingly awful. Yeah, well, another thing is I really love stories about relationships that don't necessarily end with happy ever after. Like, um, hope is very important for me. A sense of hope, a sense of, you know, chapters ending, new things on the horizon. So I always wanted to end on an up note, but I was interested in exploring how a relationship could be great but still not be forever follow-up question on the um the they're called the chose uh group that basically um takes the protagonist in and attempts various electroshock therapies on her um did you have any basis um in reality for them were they modeled after any particular group or just the concept of like that false kind of therapy 
They were modeled after a number of ex-gay groups, which I don't think the book is too subtle about. Um, (laughs) But yeah, just the, the sort of intolerance and like Machiavellian thinking that those groups display was always very scary to me. I never had to be part of an ex-gay group myself because I was not out in high school, but I have friends who did. I love people who did. And I think we're finally seeing some turnaround now with the different states passing laws about it, but what they've gotten away with doing in the name of religion and science is awful. So I did do a lot of reading about the ex-gay groups in the building of the Chose People compound. Yeah. uh, One thing I did want to kind of bring up is uh, I I feel like the YA kind of subgenre is really on the forefront of like asking these tough questions and really pushing, you know, progressive ideals and whatnot. Uh, how do you feel about that writing, you know, as, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call you a, a YA writer, but, you know, you've written in the subgenre before. Do you feel like there's some more freedom there for you? Do you feel like there's more responsibility there for you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that YA is great and versatile, and I think all of these genre lines can get pretty permeable, but... um YA in particular, I think, is just not afraid to ask the big questions because there's less of an expectation that the person already has everything figured out. Hmm. I think YA has this opportunity to push back against the ways that we're told we need to conform in our adolescence because all these teenagers are asking why and the older people don't really have reasons beyond this is the way it's always been. So I do think the asking like the very deep basic life questions is something that YA does extremely well, especially because a lot of teenagers are not yet distracted by working full time to survive. Yeah, You know, some of them are, but when you're an adult, there are a lot of feelings you just sort of get used to or like learn to ignore for a while. Um, Whereas with teenagers, those emotions are just front and center. Yeah, I often feel like there's a real punk rock vibe to a lot of the YA stuff that's coming out right now. Uh, Almost like in a lot of senses, they were like those artists and those writers were told, hey, this is the canon that you have to read in order for you to be taken seriously. And then they read those books or they read part of them and they were left with completely unsatisfying answers and whatnot. And I just feel like it's a real kind of countercultural movement, which I find really fascinating. Yeah, and it's always been steeped in controversy because adults don't want to believe that younger people are dealing with the things that 
they're often already dealing with. There are a lot of really exciting things happening in YA. It's, it's more diverse than it's ever been. And yeah, I can definitely drop a few recommendations if y'all are into that. Absolutely. Okay, well, uh, one book that recently came out, it's a bisexual high school rom-com called You Should See Me in a Crown. It stars a bi-black protagonist who is super sharp and super funny and it is by by <laughs> Leah Johnson. Okay, another one. Uh, this it, this one is a little older, but I just finished it and I was blown away. Is the way I used to be by Amber Smith, which is a uh, dark YA contemporary, which is a hundred percent my bag. Even though this, even though Dauphine was uh, paranormal, I would say that for the most part, the YA I write is dark contemporary. Um, and it's about a young girl and it covers all four of her years in high school after something unexpected and terrible happens to her and how she tries to just pick up and keep going with her life. And just in terms of character growth, that was just amazing because it covers four years and you see her change by change. Those are some great recommendations. Thank you so much. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, on the subject of YA, um, you wrote, sometimes I can't help feeling like we're all children who were handed car keys one day and told we were no longer allowed to admit how clueless we all are. Um, thinking about that, that statement there, um, for new writers who are trying to enter the YA scene and write in all those genres you were talking about, um, what are some pitfalls that they should avoid, and what are you hoping that new um, that that new writers would would tackle? What topics? Ooh. Well, I I do think that we are all basically children, and just it stopped becoming acceptable at some point to admit that we weren't really in control because, you know, the older I get, the more I expect to know everything. And while I do think I know more, I never feel like I'm any less at sea, like, especially as a person who has lived through some pretty bad trauma, I just go moment to moment sometimes you know but the thing is it's okay for kids to be emotionally messy and confused and upset or at least it should be whereas when adults do it they get pathologized or just ignored and then you of course get the the terrible refrain of just get over it or just grow up (laughs) Yeah. Which, of course, is, you know, especially to those who've experienced trauma is oh so infuriating and so oh so upsetting. Have you tried being happy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't get geez. it. Why haven't you just tried being happy? Yeah. I, yeah. As as. Oh, man. Yeah. We're, we're hitting some deep bones here. Many a conversation sitting down with my with my otherwise very normal family and just asking me, hey, uh, 
why don't you just not think about those things? And it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I just never thought about that. You know, I'm going to go write my journal. My God, you're days. right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I do. I, I don't know. I do find that, like, something about writing in particular allows for the exploration of trauma that I find so appealing. And I think that what I find so admirable about works like yours is the idea that you don't talk down to children and you don't talk down to teenagers because of course they're experienced they're in a lot of ways they're a lot wiser than people give them credit for mm. and they're still experiencing those same feelings that a lot of people adults even can't cope with and and can't really process so i find stuff writing like yours to be really fascinating and and frankly something or that I kind of wish I had when I was younger, you know, I, when I was younger, it was mostly pure escapist fantasy that I was interested in, but something that would have forced me to confront something I think would have helped a lot more in terms of processing. So I find work like yours to be really, really cool, frankly, you know, like, and really brave and necessary when it comes to helping people process and, and, discover things about themselves they wouldn't have otherwise known. Well, thanks. Yeah, uh, the heavy themes always seem to pop up in my stuff, even though I originally conceived of the women of Dauphine as, as just a light romance, it quickly became something else. Understandably, I mean, you're dealing with themes of uh, identity and, and grief and trauma. And of, I, I, very similarly, I can't write something without it being incredibly deep or dark in some way. And I don't mean like Philistine deep, you know, where I'm like super up my own ass. Trust me, I've done that too. But also it's just a matter of like, I find the exploration of the self through the work to be what I'm there for. You know, like mm. I, I could watch a movie or I could, or, you know, watch a TV series if I really only wanted to be entertained. But if I wanted to really ask the tough questions, I find that lit in particular helps me deal with that. And writing in particular helps me get really close to that without actually confronting it directly in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it shows and, a path. Yeah, movies and TV can be very deep and good, but I definitely more often find that with books. It was it's yeah. funny, Rob, that you mentioned um, the children not wanting to talk down to children or treat them as if they don't have um, an understanding. So one of the things I took away from Dauphine is that the, the tone, the voice that, that, that the protagonist has or from, from the point of view of the narration is very adult, which I mm -hmm. thought was surprising because when I was reading it, I'm like, Hmm, this doesn't feel like a YA book, but at the same time, like, I think that that, that cerebral voice was necessary. And I don't know why, what, what are your thoughts on when you decided to, to write that voice? Well, um, I wrote it in a retrospective way, like she was a young adult in her late teens and she was looking at everything that had happened to her. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I would do that exactly the same way if I were doing it now. Um, if I woke up tomorrow and Dauphine didn't exist as a published book, I might <laughs> try writing it from the present tense but also like i said it's it's no longer the story that is burning a hole through my brain you know so at some point you do have to just let it go 
you know, they say books are never finished, just abandoned. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, it, it is it is retrospective. And that's something that people argue about in regards to YA literature. I don't personally care about the hard and fast genre rules all that much. The really important thing to me was not to talk down on my readers. Right. Uh, we had on the creators of a... Uh, a doom metal RPG recently. And one of my favorite takeaways was them basically saying, fuck the rules to just about everything. So, you, mm. you know, like I, I find that the, the irreverence towards genre lines is becoming a thing that is like, why do we have these in the first place is often what gets asked. So I really admire that type of spirit when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, because you know, yeah, fuck the rules. If you want to learn something from a cookbook, by all means, you know, who cares? All right, Deb, I think this is just about the time where we're going to pivot into the world building jam. Now, for those of you who don't know how this works, we're going to roll some dice to figure out the genre, whether it be between science fiction, fantasy, horror, modern day, romance, or a combination of the two. Then we're going to roll the subject, whether it be an item, a monster, a place, a historical figure, an event, or again, combining two of them. Then we're going to figure out the theme, whether or not, be, whether it be between madness, sacrifice, love, metamorphosis, pride and honor, the unspeakable, triumph, and hope. Then once all that's done, we're going to create a scenario based around those dice rolls and then after all that, we're going to roll a d20 and just throw in a twist to fuck it all up. So let's go ahead and get this started. First up is the genre. That's going to be science fiction. All oh, right. Well. Next up, we have the subject. Oh, that's that's a roll two and combine. So let's oh, see what man. we get here. We have a monster and historical figure. All right. Ooh. <laughs> I cannot say it. That's weird. All right. Next, we have the theme, and that theme is pride and honor. Ooh. All right. So, Deb, you are our honored guest. With all that in mind, we have a science fiction genre with a monster and historical figure with the theme of pride and honor. So why don't you go ahead and start us off? Well, my first question, it, is the monster the historical figure, or is that up to us? It's entirely up to us. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you wanted to have, I don't know, like Abraham Lincoln, the America's first Bigfoot, you have that option. <laughs> uh, you, 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 you have all sorts of different options. But remember that we're also in a science fiction genre. So maybe right. it's maybe it's uh, Abraham Lincoln, the world's first Bigfoot astronaut. You know who knows? <laughs> Monster created in a lab. Hey, there we go. All right, I like where we're going already. Cloned Bigfoot Abraham Lincoln. No, I don't want. Okay, who's the historical figure? Well, you so you can make that up. Essentially, mm -hmm. you can make the monster and historical figure just because it's the first to do this or it's, you know, maybe it's, for example, right? Frankenstein's monster would be an historical figure if it was introduced into the modern world because it's the first, you know, patchwork man, so to speak. 
We also sure. Teddy well, but but in that case, all monsters are historical figures, then, right? Not necessarily. You can have some generic ass vampires for sure. Because if oh. you're in a world where monsters are commonplace, then yes, exactly. Sure. Okay. Wow. What makes a what's what makes a troll different from a historical troll? I suppose is the question that we're really asking here. One has a top hat. Maybe the lab created monster becomes a celebrity or a politician. Oh yes, like I'm loving we're that talking already. about pride and honor. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I'm, I'm loving that direction so far. All right, cool. Celebrity or politician? Which one? I'm into celebrity. I'm actually thinking like influencer when it comes to Ooh, celebrity. Oh, like Instagram? Oh yeah, something God. like that, for sure. Yeah. Okay. I made it okay. aware. Okay, so then what's the monster selling or trying to sell? Or are they just a model? Uh, are they like the quote unquote genetically perfect being and mm. you can, you know, get gene therapy to look like them? Are they yeah. a literal poster child of gene therapy? I like that. Do they even exist? Because if only people, if people are only seeing them on Instagram, then maybe, then maybe it's. It could be like the hologram singers. Right. Yeah. I I was thinking that. Clones grown in the lab that only last so long. That's, that's actually kind of what I was thinking. There's like a particular shelf life or like a Logan's run where you look down and there's like a crystal blinking. It's like, oh, you're. You're 20? Oh, guess what? Your time is up. You gotta go. You're no longer influential. Sorry. You know, that kind of thing. 20, huh? Well, I mean... (laughs) 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 Look, I I, I truly believe that in social media, you stop being relevant once you hit 21. So, that's that's why I'm not on social media. I'm still hip. I'm cool. Yeah. I'm lit, don't you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway, TikTok instead of Instagram because I don't understand TikTok. Uh, TikTok is basically Vine, but yeah. with more Chinese like spy technology based. In. I don't even know. And Vine younger, is. like yes, Vine, but younger. for adolescents. Oh, imagine shorter YouTube clips that you can quickly upload. Okay, so we what you're telling me is that we have a TikTok star or whatever future equivalent of TikTok is, and they are lab grown. They're the first monster that is a celebrity, and they are they have a timestamp basically. So is this one monster or is it multiple monsters or actually is it the same monster who is essentially reborn over and over again in a younger body each time? Ooh, what but if they made what if they made one monster and thought they were a success and then made a bunch of others. And then the first one started showing signs of deterioration. Like it's, it's a little flowers for Algernon, but I like it. I I actually like that. Yeah. I I like that a lot because it's a matter of, I mean, we can talk about the consumptive nature of social media in general. I like that a lot. Cool. Is, Is that monster still around and maybe like blowing the lid on this whole operation? Well, I, I think what we need to do is roll some dice and see what the twist is. And then we can okay. kind of go from there. I can also uh, see it kind of be where it, they they don't tell them that they have this, like, time limit. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be a very, like, depressing train of where you're just like, oh, I thought I had my whole life in front of me and this is all I've done. 
And they're like, no, you're only bred to be 13 to 21. And then actually that's like a body horror movie when you're, when it's telling it from the perspective of that influencer who doesn't know what's happening to them. Mm -hmm. Fake memories and everything. Oh, it yeah. reminds me a little of the movie Moon, which I love. Yeah, I love that movie. Oh, that's a great movie. That's such a good movie. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and roll the twist die and see what happens. So I'm gonna roll a die. Everything you know is a lie. Come on. <laughs> oh no, we have to we have to roll another theme and then oh. mix it in. So let's Ooh. see what we get for another theme. Okay. No, because this, each twist is unique, Daniel. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a twist. Every day I'm stunned by this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's see what we get for our new theme. Love. Perfect. Uh, let's throw in some love. How do we add in some love to this TikTok influencer's life, even with a short shelf life? Also, what what's the pride and honor exactly? Like, yeah. pride, well, social media, That's that yeah. that could be explained pretty easily. Yeah, I, I feel like social media. Honor, that's nebulous enough. We can focus more on the pride aspect of well, that maybe, theme as opposed to honor. But if you want to get into honor and love, we we more than happy to. Falling in maybe. love with the same person through each iteration of your creation? Oh, that's honorable. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's always the same character then? Just yeah. recycled? Or are there a bunch of them? He, it's always a different like aspect or a different character, but he always seems to fall in love with the same person. And that person has this weird uh, feeling of where do I stop interacting with them? Cause I just know it's going to end. Mm. So one person knows that you're actually dating the same person over and over again, but that person thinks that he's falling in love with multiple people for the first time over and over again. Yep. I feel like there's some really cool stories Especially because I imagine that with the TikTok influencer, it's not going to be the same age or gender or even nationality each time. So we can kind of switch around what that might look like. And you can explore what love actually is through this kind of weird TikTok medium. It could be a series of short stories, like told from different angles in that way. Do they only communicate through TikTok? That could be possible. Maybe it's a weird parasocial relationship that questions what love actually is, you know, whether it be a real kind or what what type of love, because it doesn't necessarily have to be a romantic love. Right. Mm -hmm. You can fall in love with someone in a in a in a kind of brotherly or paternal or maternal way. And and that could change each iteration. Hmm. Yeah. I also wonder if the person's grown in a lab and they always fall in love with the same person. Could that be related to their genetic code? Oh, oh, you're asking. And then who's the designer? Yeah, that implies a designer too. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So wait, this entire creature is actually a love letter from like oh. the geneticist. <gasps> oh, that's super creepy. <laughs> it's the geneticist himself. Oh God. Yeah, no. Like you're you're the geneticist and you're programming your your creatures to love certain aspects of yourself. Yeah, that is horrifying. <laughs> oh, horrible. we chose sci-fi, not horror, Daniel. Jesus, I thought we just talked about how genres didn't have to be so <laughs> in That's writing, scary. not in the world build jam. <laughs> <laughs> Science fiction can be pretty horrifying. 
Oh, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm joking, but my God, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, so I feel like we're at a good point with our weird vat-grown TikTok monster, um, <laughs> which clockwork. Yeah, no, Could not clockwork. Do a steampunk version. Oh God, uh, steampunk the, TikTok. Oh, oh, yeah. Get it? TikTok, get it? Yeah, that's what I was going for. Yeah, I, I got it. I got, I got it. it. We're oh, moving on to the rapid fire Rob, questions. Do you get it? <laughs> We're moving on. Deb, Deb, Deb gets it. <laughs> All right. Deb, thank you so much. And now comes the rapid fire questions. You might already expect some of these questions, but my wife really wants to know, is soup a cereal? It's not. Is soup a cereal? Yeah. I normally I ask is cereal so. a soup? Okay. No. So, okay. So cereal is not a soup. I mean, I guess you could make it a soup if you like mushed it all into liquid and then heated it up, but no. For uh for the sake of I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right. That's one. No, more I don't think time. cereal is a soup. Wow. All right. Uh, next up, uh, what games have you been playing as of late? Oh, gosh. Well, that's a great question. Um, when the pandemic started, my wife and I decided that we would play all the board games in our house. And we have more than I think either of us ever realized. We still haven't made it to all of them, but... Um, Let's see. I do love the card game set. And uh, earlier this pandemic, I replayed some of the Kingdom Rush games, which I love. It's great yeah. power defense. And now I'm playing a Bloons game. Bloons. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I have sank so many hours into Bloons. Yes. It's the Adventure Time version. Oh, that sounds even better. Don't you tempt me with an Adventure Time Bloons game. It's free, too. I'm, I'm, I'm moving soon. I can't do this. Just have it shipped to your new address. Oh, my God. You know what I love is playing games while I'm listening to audiobooks. Ah. Well, uh, double content, you know? That's that's actually a, a great and efficient way to do it. Absolutely. Speaking of audiobooks... What is, uh, who is someone you'd like to shout out who's not yourself? Ooh, well, uh, my wife, Kelsey, who's also my best friend, Kelsey Janerson, of course. And uh, my friend, Ash Van Otterloo, their book just came out with Scholastic a week or two ago. And it's called Caddy Wampus. It's a middle grade novel. And so I'm really happy for them. Excellent, excellent. Uh, that concludes my proportion. Daniel, go ahead. My rapid fire questions for you are first, what is your favorite Halloween movie? Wow. Okay. Well, I love horror movies. Um, I think my very favorite is Ginger Snaps. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yes. Such an underrated movie. Absolutely. Okay, and then on the same note, um, if you had unlimited funds, what Halloween costume would you make? Oh, gosh. Well, right now, it would have to be something with a dome or a bubble around it, right? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> so, let's see. 
air conditioning. I'm trying to think of what that could be, you know, besides like a hamster, which is not that great. Um, a Hmm? Oh, you you could be you could be Sandy Cheeks from SpongeBob, full with the dome inside and everything. <laughs> <laughs> a could be, could be. Suit. I I think actually this year though, uh, my wife and I are just both going to be wearing full body Spider Man suits or like <laughs> Venom and Spider Gwen or something. Not but yet. like the ultimate. Halloween costume? Well, last year I dressed as a Gelfling from the Dark oh, Crystal, yeah. as did my wife. And oh, our costumes, goodness. you know, we put them together ourselves. They were pretty good. But I've always thought that if I had a ton of money, I would mm -hmm. spend it on like a very accurate costume. You can you know? build the Skeksis to follow you around. Yeah. I was oh, thinking yeah. like you need Skeksis to follow that up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To get my cat a little fizz gig suit, you know. Yes. Oh my god, that's perfect. <laughs> I always liked the theme, you know, like having a group theme. Uh, I always loved the idea of doing like, hey, we're all going as David Bowie from different phases of David Bowie's life, right? Yeah. Or like, hey, we're going to be Daniel Day-Lewis from all of his different roles, you know, like stuff like that I've always found really fun. Group costumes? Yeah, I'm really costumes, glad I yeah. found I'm really glad I found someone who likes doing couples costumes because uh -huh. when I was younger I was never able to talk anyone into doing the group costumes with me. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily no one has fun this year because of the COVID, so it's fine. <laughs> <Hooray>. Luckily. <laughs> we have fun at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Party uh, at home, y'all. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. So any other questions? Chris, do you have any questions for Deb? Well, I actually was wondering, uh, what are you currently working on? Well, mm -hmm. I am currently querying a manuscript that's a dark contemporary YA novel in verse. So a novel written as prose poetry, sort of drawing oh. from different parts of my own history as a writer there. Um, and it is about depression in college and repressed memories and dealing with trauma again but i am really proud of this book and i'm hoping to find representation for it i'm also working on a short story that is in adult horror story about a roadside attraction in arizona mm. That's not Any in particular that you want to put on blast, or is it just a fictional one? It's a oh, real yeah. one. It's called oh. The Thing. Oh. Um, it's in Dragoon, Arizona. If you drive all the way through Arizona, you will see it, and um, not much else around it. But yeah, it is a little museum attached to a gas station that has all these little oddities, old cars, sculptures, old furniture, and then at the very end is the thing. And they won't tell you what it is unless, you know, you pay to go all the way through it. And uh, it is what appears to be the remains of a mummy, although no one's really sure where it came from. That's so interesting. Right. That's so cool. All right, Deb, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. It's been a real blast having you on. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us where we can find you and your work? Absolutely. Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter at 
at Deb Janerson or at the website debjanerson.com when I have new pieces in literary journals or online I try to always post links there you can also find out more about the three books that I already have out as well as my current project awesome uh, Deb thank you again for coming on you're welcome well that was a great interview yeah, I actually agree with that because uh, I, I really love being able to talk craft with anyone. Um, I love being able to talk YA, like as, as someone who's less familiar with that subgenre, being able to talk to people who are in it more than I am is, you know, like I always like to learn. It's also really fun to hear from a creator of something that you actually consumed to get the secret insights. Um, and granted, they wrote that their book quite a while ago. Um, but even so, the insights, I think, are still, are still fresh. Absolutely. And I mean, the process doesn't really change. The process for, and, and again, I just enjoy listening to people's processes because they're always so different. Plus, you know, there's always my, one of my most fascinating subjects is being able to listen to how geography kind of takes place and how it changes their writing style and what they write about and Exactly. I'm always fascinated by that. Nolens in particular is a fascinating place to be in <laughs> A spooky general. place. I mean, it's got so much history. It's like a melange of so many different like cultural aspects and everything like that. I, I find that to be really interesting. As Again, as someone who's never been there, uh, it, it has a, a sense of mystery and intrigue to me that is, you know, it's a cool city. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that'll just about wrap it up for this episode of World Build With Us. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, remember that we love you very much and we're going to get through this together. We'll see you next week. <laughs>